This is Tom Johnson with I'dRatherBeWriting.com, and today I'm going to give a presentation to some students at Brigham Young University, Provo, which I've never really uh, been to for, in the sense that I'm going to give a presentation. Um, I did go to school there for my undergraduate degree in English, and I'm actually kind of excited about this because, A, I get a return to my alma mater and I get to talk to some bright students. They're taking a class on digital culture and social media or something. So I've been asked to talk about social media. My colleague, Paul Pearson, was initially invited, but he had a lot of work to do, so uh, he asked me to go instead. I'm just gonna talk about three main things in this podcast. It's nothing super revelatory here. Uh, I'm gonna talk about Twitter. I'm gonna talk about blogging and podcasting because I know those three forms of social media best. Not so big on Facebook or, heck, I don't even know the million other forms. But um, those three I hope to hit. And, you know, I like to present to students, uh, but perhaps only because they're just, they're eager, they're inquisitive, they're nervous, they're afraid at the same time. Uh, they're, They're idealistic. It's a little different audience. But when it comes to social media, it's a a bit of a twist because I think most students are, I mean, Facebook is probably second nature to them. It's just like, it's just part of who they are They and texting. And, and you'd think that that just transfers over easily into Twitter, but I'm pretty sure that most students aren't on Twitter. It's, it's not really a student thing. And I don't think many students have blogs either. And I could pretty much guarantee you that they don't have podcasts. So even though these are a group of digital natives, um, I don't know if they're going to be that social media savvy, which is good because otherwise I probably wouldn't have anything interesting to say. Uh, one of the things I do want to get to though, not just talk about these forms of social media, but I want to talk about content overload and, and this trend toward content curation and trying to sift through all the junk out there to try to distill the, the really good stuff and that's what I think is a huge problem both in the number of tweets that, that come through your Twitter account <clears throat> uh, when you're when you're monitoring Twitter you get a fire hose of tweets if you've got a bunch of RSS feeds you get a fire hose of RSS feeds and they're all just producing all these people are producing content 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 but sometimes when you when you look for something it's just noise and how do you move past noise into really quality content? That's what I want to address. That's the issue. And, and uh, there's some techniques for doing that um, that I will get into. All right. So uh, I'm going to pause the recorder here and start it back up when I begin the presentation. Hope you enjoy it. Tom, Tom. Tom, I'm doing that. I'm sorry. It's okay. Can Here, let me fix you, you up. If you can just make the, the thing display or, or if yes. you want to put it on theirs. There we go. So I've got this little recorder just recording it. Don't pay any attention to it. Um, thanks for the introduction. So I'm going to talk about several things today about social media, <clears throat> mainly Twitter, blogs, and podcasts. But if you, if you have any other direction you want to go, just feel free to steer it in that direction. So about... Um, I've got up here a lavacon.org site. And this is a conference that is a, is a technical communication conference that happens every year. And this year, 
<coughs> what the, the organizer, Jack Molasani, he asked me to help develop the website because I also do some WordPress consulting in addition to my, my uh, job as a technical writer. And so this, this conference focused solely on social media or specifically on social media. So he needed to have a socially enabled website. He wanted to make it as web 2.0 as possible. So I'm like, okay, fine, you know, we'll, we'll use WordPress. It's a blogging platform, very interactive, lots of possibilities. And we, we tried to do all kinds of things. Um, for example, if you go and look at the speakers, you can comment on, on each of the uh, tracks and so forth. So let's see if you have, if you were gonna go to this guy's presentation. Before you go, you could come down here and comment. Like, tell him, hey, you're gonna be talking about minimalism. I want you to cover X. And I was kind of excited about this site because I'd never seen a conference website like this. This was, this was unique that it was so interactive. In fact, we even had this other section on there that uh, showed kind of real-time visitors, like who was on there at that time. And, and a little visitor map showing dots of everybody around the world who had visited it. And so they just held the conference last week and I was kind of eager to find out, I didn't go to it, uh, but I was eager to find out, you know, how did this work? You know, did you get tons of comments? And during the conference, I kept checking it. Uh, I was like, oh, I really want to know. So I'd go to the program part where I put a, uh, mm, there we go, comments. And I kept checking for these comments just to see who was kind of using this. And there weren't very many comments. I was like, are people just not using the site or what? There was only 29 comments throughout the whole conference. This was like a three-day conference. I said, Jack, what, what's up? Well, there weren't that many comments on the site, but tons of people were using Twitter. Twitter was off the charts. If there were 29 comments on this site, there were like 2,900 uh, little tweets on Twitter. Um, so how, before I just jump into Twitter, how many of you guys are familiar with Twitter, or should I give a little more explanation about what it is? Raise your hand if you have a Twitter account. Half, three, okay, okay, so uh, just briefly, Twitter is, uh, it's kind of like microblogging. You, you, you give 140 character updates, um, whatever you can in this space. Usually people have little applications they download rather than using the, the web interface. You come up here and you, you say what's on your mind. Uh, and it can be pretty random. You know, I just logged in and so these are the people I'm following. This person has some kind of cat pigeon thing, right? Which is like, well, why are you telling me about that? Other people are reviewing the Kindle. Other people are talking about, uh, they're, they're sharing links. So, question. Why do you think that comments were, comments on the website were kind of left alone, but Twitter was super used? In the back. Okay, so an already existing network. Okay, any other ideas? Were they worried about people editing the comments? Were they people worried about what? Editing the comments from the blog or Were people worried about editing comments? No, I don't think so. The co there was no sanitization of the comments, no filter, moderation. So, yeah? I guess for me, um, I don't use Twitter a lot, but it is an I see it as an easy way to get a message across really quickly 
instead of going to the website and writing down um, you know, full comments on what you thought about this presentation or what you should talk about, you can put it in you know, 12, 15 words up here. Wow, that was so cool. You should go to this conference or something. Yeah, so it's easier to get your message across and it's, it's faster. Uh, definitely, I mean, all those, all those responses are great. Um, and I have my own theory here that I want to explain. So let, let's talk about what uh, the student here said. It's easier, right? You don't have to log into the website. In the comment form, you had to write your name, your URL, and your email address in order to post a comment. This one, you're logged in. You can just immediately start typing. But also, I think that with comments, you have more of the sense that you're just talking to that speaker. You know, ask a question or something and you're just kind of communicating with the person who's monitoring that page or other people who happen to go to that page. But with Twitter, you're communicating with your whole network, as you said. You're, you're communicating with everybody. And Twitter, now, th this can be problematic, though, uh, if you're communicating with everybody, right? I'm following like 1,500 people or 1,000 people, and uh, I don't necessarily want to read all their tweets, right? If I just scan down this list of stuff that they're tweeting, a lot of it's just junk, right? Uh, here's one nice article about this. And so some good links and so forth, but you get a lot of this stuff about, oh, cats attacking pigeons and stuff. So how is it that people can distill this fire hose of noise? Well, I guess that's two metaphors. How, how can they distill this just, just random noise into meaningful communication so this forum this Twitter is actually useful and not just this just random gibberish going on. Any ideas? Okay, so this, <laughs> there's, there's something called a hashtag which makes things a lot, a lot easier. How many of you watched General Conference last weekend and went to Twitter and searched for LDS Conf? Yeah, so you, you saw that a lot of people who are watching conference uh, they wanted to add a comment and so, and so forth. So they added, let me go to it real quickly, um, on search Twitter. I'm just going to put a little pound sign, do LDS Conf. And all the people who are watching LDS Conference who wanted to make a comment about it added this little, this thing is called a hashtag, pound sign, and, and an abbreviation or some kind of word. And then it's like tagging the tweets so that if you want to look for tweets on a specific tag, it aggregates them all into one stream. And that's pretty useful. Uh, and, and it was kind of crazy watching this. Like I, I didn't, I wasn't monitoring the Twitter stream constantly, but when I did, there were, there were like uh, 10 tweets every five seconds. It was, it was pretty incredible. So coming back to uh, this LavaCon thing. So people were including LavaCon as a hashtag in their tweets, and by so doing, you could distill all that noise and push it away and focus just on this single line of communication that you want. And that's how Twitter gets to be useful. You, you, you push away all the stuff you don't want. And then you're not just talking with the person on the website who, who is speaking or the, the webmaster or something. You're talking with everybody at the conference at once because they all know how to tap into this tag and join this conversation. And it's a lot faster and more immediate. <clears throat> so this is fine and all, but a lot of times in regular regular day-to-day -day stuff on Twitter, you don't really have hashtags, right? I have a, 
a techcom hashtag, which is useful, and then I can kind of see stuff that's related to techcom. But how do you take, I mean, I mean not a lot of people use hashtags. Not, there's a lot of people, that just, it's not part of their, their, their Twitter strategy. So you still have a lot of noise, and you still have this problem of trying to push out the noise and get, get the stuff that's actually meaningful. Have you seen a site called paper.li? Raise your hand if you've ever seen this site. So this is one of the coolest things that I've discovered, and it's kind of very trendy right now. But what it does is it attempts to distill the content from Twitter into something meaningful. And it does this by having you sign in with your Twitter, uh, with your Twitter name, and you create a newspaper. <laughs> Again, another metaphor, right? You're not actually getting a newspaper. But it kind of looks like one. And here you can customize your newspaper. So if I want to see a newspaper based on just my followers, I can do that. Or just a tag, I can do that. Or a list of people, I can do that. And what it's going to do is it's going to look at all the links that people shared. And it will, will basically take the, the most shared links and put those in a newspaper type of format. So I already created one with my name. So I'll just type, type it up right here, because I already did it. This is what the URL is. And here, all the people that I'm following, or that follow me, actually, I'm not quite sure, <laughs> but one of the two, uh, basically my followers, this, these are the links that they shared the most. So this top one, intelligence squared. right? I probably would have never found that. I, but enough people shared that link, and it rose to the top. So this process of, of kind of filtering out the junk and bringing forth the good stuff, it's called content curation. And this is a content kind of curation tool. It, it's part automated, but it's also based on human behavior. You're having human filtering. It's not just a robot. Uh, so so who, who here said that she or he has a Twitter account? All right. So let's go ahead and do a newspaper thing with your name. Uh, so tell me what your Twitter ID is. Uh, how about in the, with the broken arm there? Oh, um, it's uh, my Twitter account. Uh-huh. Uh, J-M-S-M. J-M-S-M. Okay. F-R-Z-R? Yeah. Like, wow, okay. And then what? <laughs> at Gmail. At Gmail? Yeah. Oh, wait. Well, you don't actually have the. You actually have the at Gmail in your Twitter name. <laughs> let's see if uh, let's see if we can try this. Sorry, no Twitter account found with that name. Cool food dude. That's what I was looking for. Cool food dude. Okay. So, all right. So what this is doing is processing. Again, you have that metaphor of the newspaper. It's so looking at all the people who follow you or that you follow, looking at all the links they shared, and trying to come up with some kind of intelligent uh, newspaper type look of the headlines, of the most important stuff that you should focus on. <coughs> so, I clicked create a newspaper. Was that your question? Yeah. So, Jameson. Does this look like something that would be interesting for you to read? Fall harvest desserts, five ingredients fix, apple crisp. I love apple crisp. 
So, so now people can, can come in here and be alerted to updates about it. It, it will update every day. Or you can share it across Twitter, and, and you have the little link to it. So that's kind of cool. And, and some people are like, ah, they don't know what to make of it. But I think it's, it's a neat tool. Oh, no, this is how they make money. Yeah, so this is actually a pretty brilliant strategy on their part because they're driving lots of people to the site to click an ad, and it's based off of uh, your, your IP address location. So it's kind of even, it's a smart ad. All right, so let's go back to any questions, any, any thoughts or questions you want to share about Twitter. Now, Twitter seems cool, but for the most part, it's not really where content happens. It's, it's, it's more, more of a communication channel. And if I go back to this LavaCon site, got a short video from the founder on what he learned. Do I have audio on this? If I, if, okay. Oh, okay, so I better prepare, be prepared to turn it down. Okay, so this is a minute and a half video, and this is what uh, the founder came away with from this conference after tweeting like crazy all week. This is what he takes away. Sunny, I'm from San Pedro, California, and what I learned at LavaCon is there's a difference between advertising to and engaging your customers. Probably the biggest social media mistake I've been making over the past year was advertising, advertising. Um, I can't remember who said it, but one of my speakers says, Twitter is not a fax machine. Just don't send out stuff. You engage the customer, you give them a chance to dialogue, um, to noun a verb, um, to give them a place to discuss ideas, to offer them content that has value. Because without value, why would they follow you? And social media is not an end in and of itself. It's just a communication channel. So if you develop content, you have to deliver it. If you have a message, you deliver it. So instead of concentrating on having the latest app or the latest page, concentrate on content. Because content is king. Your followers will follow you. They'll find you. And I think that's probably the biggest thing I learned this week. All right. So, what it, what is he saying was the biggest thing he took away? What? Engage your audience, and what engages them? Content, right? So, if you look back at Twitter, 140 characters doesn't give you a lot of space to provide valuable content, and you can't do a lot in that space. So where are you going to generate all this content? Where, where do you develop it? Where, do you, where does it live more permanently? Where do people go to find this content with a big C? Any ideas? Well, this leads into my next kind of portion that I wanted to get into, which is blogging. Blogging. Uh, blogs, I think, are where the content really happens. You have enough space to, to dive into a topic and do whatever you want. And so I'm going to pull up my blog, which uh, oh. I'd rather be writing.com. And although I use Twitter, I mostly use it to share links 
or to share quick little thoughts, uh, to do other sort of things. But here is where the content happens. Here's where I, I develop stuff. So for example, here's a post on seeing before reading and, and information design, uh, an idea about um, messages encoded in structures of documents and things like that. So whatever your strategy is for social media, you, know, you could be on Facebook, on Twitter, on other kinds of channels to send out messages, but you kind of want to bring them back to some place where there's a rich repository of relevant content to them. Now, how many of you have a blog of some kind? Raise your hand. Almost everybody. Okay, so let's go to one of your blogs just for fun. Um, let's say, how about you? What's your blog's URL? Sorry, you got to speak up. What? England Books. I love having this media enabled classroom. Wow, cool banner. Did you design that? Um, it was a template that I kind of. Uh, I like it. It's intriguing. So, uh, englandbooks.blogspot.com. Uh, what kind of content are you producing on this site? Okay. So like every so 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 bookstores in England, your favorite English authors, historical literary sites in England, where authors did something uh, or lived. So yeah, okay. So she's got a very clear focus on this. So your audience that you're trying to attract are people who are lit literature. Uh, readers in in England or just everywhere? Um, well, like everywhere, like because I mean, a lot of people travel, um, so it's okay. people who may travel to yeah. England or sort of those who are already there. So okay, so it's, you've got a broad audience. Well, good. I don't focus solely on the bookshops, so. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it would be kind of hard to focus solely on like bookshops because it's yeah. kind of a distance problem, right? Cool. All right. Let's see, let's see another blog. Tell me, uh, ra who raised your hand? Dude, what's your blog URL? Um, okay. Oh. All right. DebbieBar.blogspot.com. Writing soup. So tell me what, what kind of content are you producing here? Okay, so you're you're targeting young adult fiction writers, the writers or, or young adult readers? Uh, both. Both? Okay. Cool. Cool. So the reason I'm asking these questions is because I think the key, one of the key elements of a successful blog is, is to establish relevant content to the user, right? And a lot of times people start blogs and they kind of have an idea for an initial direction, but then they wander all over the place. They'll wander from the vacation they just took to a, a political rant to uh, nature to photographs of my pet dog. And and there's no focus. And unless people have a clear focus, then they're going to look at your blog and just not see relevance. 
So if I were writing for young adults, right, with this blog, I see writing soup, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm kind of looking for, for some kind of purpose about the blog. Um, there's actually a, a, good, a good, I think it, hopefully it's still a good example. Uh, this site, bacardo.com, this guy has, uh, oh, he doesn't have his purpose stated either. But somewhere on a blog, you should kind of tell the reader what you're focusing on, if it's not apparent in the title. So this one is pretty, I mean, Bookshops of England, it's pretty, pretty clear what the, what the uh, purpose is going to be. But by and large, a lot of times blogs, you, you go to them and you have no idea what they're really about. So establishing focus is huge. And actually, there's a, uh, there's a great tutorial on this if you go to learn.wordpress.com. Uh, number three in getting started with blogging is choosing a focus. So this is by far the most difficult part of any blog, is trying to figure out what your focus is. So how, did you, how do you come up with a focus for your blog? I mean, are you trying to figure out the best way to make money? Are you aligning with uh, your studies? Are you aligning with um, a project? I mean, how do you come up with the focus that you're going to be spending hours writing content about? Yeah, yeah, so you, you align with your interests, right? Because that's, that's what is going to sustain you in the long run. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want to choose something so unpopular that nobody else cares or ever reads it. Uh, Dr. Paul was telling me some of your other blog, blog uh, ideas and focuses, and it seems like you all have lots of different projects going. Um, Who's, who's the Cosmo one? Was there one of you that was focusing on Cosmo in here or something? Maybe that was another class. Tell me about your blog focus. Um, as, as far as blog, I haven't started that yet because I like to okay. on behalf of them. Okay. Um, I've kind of tried to drive it through Facebook stuff, so they kind of tell me when they're going to be doing certain things or events and they'll be taking like pictures and stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'll kind of try to... Um, get followers off of that um, through people people following Cosmo and then mm -hmm. they know where he is or where he's going to be, you know, and then they want to do like some contests and things like that. So it's basically to uh, create awareness. Like a big a big mascot right now, I guess, is the Oregon Duck. Okay. Like he's in some commercials and things, you know, and he's doing a lot of stuff. So they want to do some viral videos and things like that as well. So it's, it's basically getting more people to view it so then you can start pushing the videos and things like that. All right. So is it, is it almost kind of like a Where's Waldo with the Cosmo? It's, he's right. in different places and, and people. Are. Now, here's my question that relates back. Let's take this back to uh, what your colleague said behind you, uh, aligning with your, with your passions and interests. Uh, how does this align with your passions and interests? I mean, is this, this is a question that uh, I think we, we all have to answer. Like, when we start a blog, is this going to sustain us in the long run, or is this going to serve another purpose? And maybe it, maybe it serves another purpose. Well, um, probably not for myself. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> they kind of wanted me to do it so I could uh, provide a, like a foundation for future yeah. generations of Cosmos. <laughs> uh, because 
in, in terms of in terms of sort of an online presence, there's um, not really that right now. I'm interested it, in it uh, just in terms of because it's it's kind of fun to see people's reactions uh -huh. to that kind of stuff. And so I, I don't know for me personally if if I would have a focus, but I know for kind of the Cosmo program, it, it's kind of providing a way, so it's easier for future people to kind of keep it up and do that. Yeah, yeah. So. I think there's two aspects, two elements to, to, to trying to figure out relevant content. And, and you're both hitting on them in different angles. And one is what we've covered, finding something you're passionate about. But the other is trying to find an, a return on your investment of time. And with, with something like a, the, the Cosmo sort of blog, you probably get a lot more re immediate return. Maybe you have greater attendance. Maybe you have a, a big follower base that you can market content to. But Basically, to, to make a good blog, it, it requires as much time as a part-time job. Um, sitting down to write a post could take you two, three hours uh, coming up with ideas. So on my blog, even though I have um, stuff that I think is relevant to my users and aligns with my interests, I've also got a sidebar of a bunch of sponsors. And they give me money in order to put their graphic there, obviously. And so there is a return on investment that makes me think when I'm staying up late, you know, beside the, besides the engagement with the topic and the community and all that, there's also some financial incentive to, to keeping this going. So uh, I think you know, a lot of people just dismiss that outright, any kind of financial incentive. But, but as you're, seriously, as the months wear on and your wife is like, hey, Go do something productive. You know, if you don't have any kind of money or or direct return on investment coming back, then it starts to be something that you postpone, you neglect, you don't really prioritize, and pretty soon it's been months since you've written your last post, and you're no longer giving relevant content to users. So keep those two points in mind: ROI and interests. Um, another thing about blogs that I've I've been finding a lot lately. Uh, and actually, I discovered this rapid e-learning blog, and it pulled me in for a long time. And I started thinking about what is it about what is it in the content that really engages people? And it's text is part of it, but this guy has a lot of visuals in it, and he's got like 65,000 readers. If you go to articulate.com/rapidelearning, terrible URL, but. Um, so he, he, he blogs about e-learning and so forth, but as you read his posts, I haven't really checked out his latest one. Let's see if this has visual kind of engagement in it. He's got some comic-y thing here, but, but throughout it, he's got, and this is probably not the best example because it looks really trashy, <laughs> but, but there's lots of visual stuff in here um, to keep you engaged between videos and screencasts and these crazy little cartoon caption things. Another very popular site that really wows people with imagery, pioneerwoman.com, probably one of the most popular mommy blogger sites. And when you go to it, it's a very visual experience. Um, all the, I mean, she's got this immediate slideshow, but throughout, she's got a lot of stuff. Um, and she publishes a lot of content. I think there are probably several new posts on the site a day, mostly written by her. Um, so when you're reading about a recipe, you're not just reading text, you're probably going to get some pretty delicious images as well. Hopefully, yeah. 
So she's actually pretty skilled uh, with the camera, obviously. And so <coughs> as you're delivering content, you have to keep in mind that people don't have very long attention spans. I wrote a post the other day that was 2,300 words long, which is like an eternity online, right? And I don't know why. I, I, know, I knew that it should have been a, a fourth of that length. And not that many people read it. And I tried to include visuals, but uh, you know, it wasn't as successful. But basically, you keep posts short and put a lot of visuals in them, and people really get engaged by that. It's hard to do visuals. Um, it, it doesn't just involve taking pictures or grabbing them from Flickr or from some doing a Google image search. You really want pictures that kind of illustrate the points that you're talking about. How many of you are taking any kind of design classes or, or there's even a, an animation degree here, right? Like, there's lots of emphasis on graphic arts. Anybody taking any kind of graphic class or have any ideas to? It's one that I think uh, is worthwhile. Um, to be able to open up Illustrator and illustrate some idea you've got or to just go into Photoshop and mock up a photo that, to make it look a lot more exciting. So those are two key elements. A third element besides kind of keeping it short, putting a lot of visuals, is story. And this is what a lot of people at that LavaCon conference said. They said, we really want story and transparency. And this, is, this is always gets to be a danger point. Um, you, you never know when you're crossing the line. And it, it's, it's sometimes hitting that publish button. I sometimes think, man, I'm going to get fired for this post. <laughs> and then you think, well, what the heck is, what could be so controversial? Well, so on my blog the other day, I was writing this post, this content strategy post that I told you wasn't very successful. And uh, down here at the bottom, I was like, I was I tried to put in some images, right? I was criticizing these uh, IT shops and interaction design shops that just throw up lorem ipsum filler type content without really having the real content. And then they create these prototypes and designs. And then at the last minute, they go to somebody and say, look, we're ready for the content. And you give them the content, and you realize that uh, content totally doesn't fit the prototype. You know, they, they designed it with this large image and like three paragraphs or three sentences. And you give them a whole document with, without any images at all. Right? This, is, this is like a major problem. And in the redesign of LDS.org, um, I felt like this was totally the scenario. We have all these cool interaction designers, uh, amazing stuff. Uh, they've got all these prototypes they've mocked up. And then at the last minute, our team was approached, hey, uh, you know that serving in the church section? We need some content for that. You know, there's like a month or two or three before the deadline. And this monumental content wasn't written at all. It drove me nuts. But I thought, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to tell that story. What if I get fired? What if, I, what if people discover this and they say, Tom, you're being critical? Well, I decided to write it anyway. Because, um, and I even put a, put a screenshot here. If you go to uh, new.lds.org and you type, if you, if you somehow figure out where serving in the church is, uh, you see this coming soon part with the content. And nothing happened, right? Nobody cares. Nobody probably even reads my blog. Um, <laughs> But, but it's a constant struggle trying to figure out, okay, I, I want to tell a story, but I don't want to hurt those around me. You know, whatever your topic is, let's say you've got a food blog and you're like, oh, this is the greatest recipe. 
so much better than my wife's recipes, <laughs> right? So uh, actually, that wouldn't be the case. My wife's a really great uh, cook, but and I don't blog about recipes. Anyway, the point is, telling stories is what engages people. It, it, it draws out the raw, kind of boring information and puts it into a package that appeals to people. I'm sure, I think you're all English majors. One day, uh, I was kind of thinking about what I liked most um, about reading and so forth, and it was story. Story was what engaged me, and I thought, this is, this is what it's all about. But trying to, I mean, it's a lot easier to say that than to actually implement story. When you sit down to write, you know, how do you, how do you approach that? How do you find the story? How do, you, how do you narrate it and structure it? So there's a lot to story that's kind of difficult. What are your thoughts on that? Do you have, what do you think about including stories? Good idea, dangerous? Do you have any experiences uh, that backfired in, in stuff you've done with story? Has anybody been offended by something you wrote? Because if nobody's ever been offended, it's probably a bad thing. Yeah? Um, I think when it comes to blogs, the ones I love about there usually have quite a bit of story-based content. Um, just thinking about a latest interview I did last week of was a plane crash. <laughs> I didn't, but I heard of her. Yeah, wow. But she was burned all over her body because of a plane crash, and she got a huge blog. And I think the reason she's so successful is because she's honest and willing to just tell stories about her life and by sharing her experiences with, with yeah. connect with an audience in this way as well. Yeah, is that the Nini, Nini blog or what's her, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, so she tells a lot of stories and shares them and get, engages her audience, yes? That sounds like a perfect uh, blog focus for story. I mean, bad dates. So is that what it's, a, is that called bad dates or something? Best and worst states of BYU. Wow, best and worst states. That seems like a, a really focused sort of message for a BYU audience, I mean, or a, any college audience, right? Um, yeah, that's great. And so, curious, uh, so let's say you get, uh, let's say you get a, a story about a really bad date and the details that you reveal as you tell the story obviously identify a certain person so that if they read it they'd say, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know that's what he thought. Oh, he hated my polka dot pants, you know, or whatever. I don't know. How do you, how do you kind of walk that line? Because you don't want to end up with somebody uh, getting hurt or... Oh. Story, but just as in any writing to, hmm. for legal purposes that you would change where you okay. went or, you know, not the, the essentials, but 
Yeah. So changing up details, and that's totally totally legitimate, right? It's still true, but you've changed details, and that that does a lot to protect people. What? So if I wanted to go to that URL, what is it? Best and worst states dot. Best Oh. oh, okay. So uh, we talked about Twitter, you know, and we talked about blogging. And so if you have posts, right, you'd want to send them across Twitter and say, hey, look, check out the link. And people, people come back to your site and so forth. But there's one other kind of area I wanted to touch upon. We get out at 11.15, is that right? Yes. Okay, well, this third area is podcasting. And Podcasting is really weird. It's, uh, I mean, it's not weird. It's just, uh, it's different. It's, there's not a lot of podcasters out there. The number, number of people who are doing podcasts versus the number of bloggers, it's got to be like 100 bloggers to one podcaster or 1,000 to one because podcasting involves more. I mean, to record, I have this little recorder that, that uh, costs money and so forth, whereas a blog, you can sign up for free. It doesn't cost anything. You type for free, right? You have a computer, but, but podcasting, you've got all this equipment that you have to figure out and buy. Can you tell the class the minimum equipment you would need? So this all depends on what your podcast is about. So you, the minimum equipment, you could go down to Best Buy or some other electronic store and buy one of those little headsets for $30, and you could be fine or a stick microphone, you can, you can get into it cheap. Um, in fact, actually, you know what? I take that back, you, or I don't take it back, but I'll add another point. You could use a service like, uh, I'm trying to remember it. Okay, there's uh, TalkShoe, there we go, TalkShoe.com. You just call up, so you, all you need is a phone, and you call up and it records it. And there are lots of services like that. So you could do it for nothing as well. Uh, but by and large, if you're, it depends on the kind of podcast you want. So there's podcasts where there's two hosts that talk about things, and sometimes they'll sit down and they have microphones in front of them. There's podcasts where you call up and interview somebody over the phone, so you have to figure out how to record that phone conversation. There's monologue podcasts where you're just sitting and spewing a monologue. Um, I, I make that sound kind of negative, but it's, it's, uh, some of those are great. Um, there's, there's a guy, this is one of my favorite People. For some reason, his site automatically has an audio file that starts to play, but I'll get, I'll get around that. ITauthor.com, he's got a podcast, and uh, one of the, come on, load, baby. One of the uh, latest podcasts he did, oh, there we go, on Cramond Island, thinking about technical writing. He was walking his dog. Lottie, pictured on the right, and he attached a little microphone to him while he walked. So this is what we call a dog cast, even though it's not really about dogs. But um, sometimes if you're driving in the car, you know, car cast. So there's all kinds of scenarios and situations where you could record stuff. And the thing I like about podcasts is that they're, they're a lot more personal. You're hearing somebody's voice in your head for a long time. Whereas online, when you read a, read a post, yeah, there's voice in the post, but not as real, not as, and a lot of times it's kind of, uh, people don't have that strong a voice. Um, but it's inescapable with a podcast. You hear somebody and you start to feel that they're your friend. What, when I went to, uh, I, I had just gotten into the podcasting scene for about a year 
and there were some other podcasters, and I went to this conference, and we were the only two tech comm podcasters, pretty much, and we met each other at the conference, and it felt like, oh yeah, you guys are my old buddies, and it was weird, because we'd never met each other, uh, but, but we felt like there was already this uh, history of friendship. So, this one is, I'll play a little brief part of this. It's kind of it's, it's kind of rambling, but it's also interesting. You can hear his dog panting. And he's in a really beautiful area. Apparently he's in Edinburgh, Scotland, I believe. I'm walking the dog on Cramond Island in Edinburgh. And um, just climbing over the rocks. <laughs> so down by the sea. He... Some of it is a little slow, especially at the start, because he's just kind of setting oh, the scene. Really and then I've he... been away from technical writing for a little while and extremely busy, ridiculously busy. You know, busy in the kind of way that totally interferes with normal life and family life, um, which is really not good at all. And, um, all right, so you can kind of get a sense of what it's about. And, and, and I like to listen to podcasts while I'm driving to work. It's probably where most people listen, or while I'm walking somewhere, if I'm doing yard work or anything, uh, not just sitting and staring at the computer. That, that never works for me. And so it's kind of nice to, to have this friend right, narrate and share his or her thoughts. And that's kind of the power of podcasting is it creates a more personal connection with your users. Um, you're not gonna reach all your users because a lot of people aren't really into podcasts. There's probably only half of the people maybe listen. But here's a question that uh, poses a, a big challenge uh, for podcasting. If you go to iTunes, you see in the top right, uh, the top 10 podcasts or the top most popular podcasts, and they're really kind of very big mainstream podcasts. For example, um, WYNC Radio Lab, in New York, this is my absolute favorite. Uh, this American Life, have you heard that one with Ira Glass? I think it's a radio show and then it's ported over to a podcast. Um, there's even little mundane grammar podcasts that have a lot of popularity. But, but there's a lot of podcasts that uh, are just pulled over from big media because they've got all the content. For example, the New Yorker Fiction Podcast, if you've ever listened to that, they have big authors talking with big editors, right? <laughs> high-profile people, and then they read a story, uh, and then they talk about it and so forth. And the question becomes, how is it, how can you compete? If you start a podcast, how can you compete with the big media and all the, I mean, they can sit there in their fancy studios, they've got access to resources, and they can interview high-up people. How can you ever compete with content on that level? I mean, is it even worth it? to start a podcast knowing that you've got maybe two hours to edit the audio, whereas Ira Glass is paid full time, he's got a whole team of editors, he's got content that's amazing, why even bother? Oh man, I don't mean to discourage you guys, I'm just trying to <laughs> provoke some thought. Yeah. Have to 
um, I don't know, you just have to do the best you can with the resources that you have, right? And try to promote okay. your podcast as much as you can to try to get an audience. But I don't think it's reasonable to expect that you'll be getting like hundreds of thousands of listeners like during like the big movie, like mm. VR will. So, so, so not to have, it's don't have, level. okay, don't have unrealistic expectations and you're not competing against them, right? You've got a different focus. In the back, you, you raised your hand. Yeah, so specialize and be more no, exactly. That's, that's what, uh, what I think is the best answer. It's, um, as she said, you know, you're not competing against that same focus. You have a niche that's unique that they're not covering because they, don't, they know they don't have mainstream audience for it. The, big, the biggest podcast, for example, Leo Laporte's, well, I don't know, he's got tons of podcasts, is This Week in Tech. It's all about technology in general, right? And the number of people interested in technology in general, huge. But his podcast is way better than any other technology podcast I've listened to. So I choose to focus on technical writing. How many technical writing podcasts do you think there are? Like, not very many. In fact, two. <laughs> There's IT author, Alistair Christie. There was one, but they pod faded about a year ago called DMN Communications. And then there's me. So if you're a professional technical writer and you wanna, you're going to work and you're like, ah, I want to kind of get pumped up for the day, I'll learn something <laughs> on my way to work. Um, you want to listen to content that's relevant to you. And while Leo Laporte's This Week in Tech is amazing and This American Life is amazing, they're uh, too general, right? The information I want is more specialized and the only place I can get it is through Tom Johnson's podcast, through IT Author. So I'll have a readership or listenership, whatever it's called, um, that won't come anywhere near the listenership of the others, but that's okay because percentage-wise of my target audience, I have a high percentage. So how many of you, tell me if you have a podcast or are thinking of starting a podcast here. Nobody? Really? So is it just a matter of not knowing how, or is it not really being How many listen to podcasts? This is kind of where it starts. So five, six. Lack of exposure to the process or to just podcasts? Yeah. Yeah, so there's this whole barrier. Um, I think it, it starts by listening to podcasts. This is how I got into podcasting. I, I kept listening to podcasts as I, I used to uh, escape at lunch and go exercise. And I'd, you know, while you're running on the treadmill without a TV, without anything, I wanted to listen to something. And uh, I started listening more and more and I realized there are no podcasts that are actually relevant to my profession. There should be. So I decided to start getting into it. Um, so listening to podcasts was the motivator to get into it. And then the tools and the technology doesn't have to be hard. And this is kind of one of the central themes in social media. The technology is easy. Uh, all you have to really do is buy a microphone and talk into it and record it. You can download Audacity. It's a free audio editor. Hit that big record button and 
save it, edit it. I mean, it's, it's not something that's hard to figure out. Uh, you guys, could, if, you, if you've ever like, figured out an Adobe Creative Suite product, this is cake in comparison. Um, so it's not so hard to figure it out, but, uh, but it could be, definitely, if you, if you really wanted an advanced setup. But it's really about getting a, a focus on your content and, and worrying about the content more than the technology. Yeah? I think a lot of it's just that I don't feel like college students are really targeted for podcasts. I feel like we're more targeted for like the Facebook and the instant yeah. and the, you know, like I don't really feel like there's a lot of podcasts that are yeah. like specific. My husband listens to podcasts a lot because he's trying to apply to medical school. Mm. And there's podcasts out there about what to do, people who have been successful, yeah. advisors from different colleges put podcasts out on what you should do to get into their school. So that's how we got into it. but. I don't feel like beside that I've ever really been exposed or targeted yeah. in like the media or any like social media aspects to listen to podcasts. Does that make sense? Like I've never yeah. seen like, hey, listen to I, my podcast on any of the people I follow on Twitter. So, or blog. so you're saying basically the students really don't listen to podcasts. They're not the target audience for podcasts. And so it actually makes sense, right? If you have a social media strategy geared towards students not to focus on podcasts. Or if you want to like make podcasts big, target it toward that group and then they'll listen mm. to it. Yeah. Like whatever is advertised to us, we respond to that. I just don't feel like it's something I see. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Dr. Paul? It's interesting though because the university changed this. If you look at the if you look at the uh, writing lab they launched and it's like podcasts on they have a few. If you go to the um, uh, BOA, they have a lot. I was actually on a podcast once about it, but they do it every week and they put them up there and they think that you are listening to it. And it's just occurring to me that they are using new media in the, you know, one sense, but not social media. So they're using, they're putting it on web pages and thinking that if it's on a web page, you guys will see it. So that must be the thing. Hmm. Because the university, if you go to BYU and the podcasts, they're all over the place. It's interesting. It's interesting that, uh, there would be kind of that disconnect between the faculty fo or the university focus on podcasts. The students really, it's not their, their, their preferred choice. And actually, we started out talking about Twitter. This is another big kind of disconnect. Most, I think most college students are on Facebook rather than Twitter. Am I right or not? Yeah? So, you know, there's, there's that whole separation. And, and that's a little more commonsensical. Twitter's more geared towards like topic-based things that are, or would fit into somebody's professional focus, whereas Facebook is more friend-oriented and, and family and friends and so forth. But uh, what, is the, what is the medium then that speaks most to students? If that's your audience, what medium are they consuming? Like, what social media do you most find yourself reading, listening to, watching? Is it YouTube? You think like, or not necessarily YouTube, but video. So, actually, wasn't really planning on it, but uh, can talk about YouTube. So, um, all right, let me go back to my site. I went to a conference last year, the big STC Summit, Society for Technical Communication Summit, and for the past. Previous years, I had just interviewed people with a microphone. 
But people told me, look, video is the rage. People want to see things. And I knew that I had to get into video. Uh, so I, I, brought, I bought one of those little flip cameras. Actually, it was a Kodak ZI8 instead. And I started interviewing people with it. And it was actually really interesting. Let me, let me go down to the one with Paul. So at least he can be here in spirit. Um, or actually, I'm not going to find it here. Uh, oh, here, Whitney Hess. This was the most interesting one, kind of. Oh, my plug-in. OK. Sorry. I'm going to have to go to it directly. I didn't realize this. Um, it used to be a link. And I thought something. Whoops. Okay, I obviously don't use Mac. Seven Q. Hopefully that's it. Nope. Okay. All right. Let me just search for it. Whitney Hess YouTube. Tom Johnson STC. Okay. So I have this little microphone, and I would tell people, "Hey, look, you want to uh, I'm you want at the to record STC it?" Summit in Dallas. And I get to interview Whitney Hess. She's volunteered to answer a few questions. And so, Whitney, tell me, is this your first STC event? It is. Um, Alan Hauser approached me at the IDEA conference in October. And he asked if I would come attend STC Summit and present. And I hadn't really heard of the summit before. I had vaguely heard of STC previously, but I didn't know much. And I did a little investigation, and I proposed a couple talks, and here I am. I'm having a great time so far. So one question I have for you is, is there's kind of this concept of this old guard school, old school people, who don't see the value of Twitter, don't see the value of user experience, are just kind of uh, old liners, so to speak. And then there's the new school of people who are kind of more on Twitter and more into social media and see the value of branching out in different roles. How do people go from old guard to new guard? Well, it's funny that y your field seems to be experiencing that. Okay, so that gives you a flavor of what that's about. So this medium might actually be a lot more uh, focused for students. Did you have a comment? I saw somebody raising their hand. No, okay. So, so I took this. You can tell the person I had filming it kind of moved around a bit. It's very amateur, right? It's not professional at all. Uh, even though the guy was trying to get better lighting and stuff, and, and each time I interviewed somebody, I'd have to ask, hey, will you hold, I'd find a bystander and say, hey, will you hold the camera? And uh, she was actually a big name. If you go to Whitney Hess, she's got a lot of followers, and, and so I was excited to be able to interview her because she, uh, she's not really part of the tech comm crowd, usually. She's more of the user experience crowd. Um, but I interviewed probably 10 or 12 people during the course of the three-day conference, all with this little video camera, and it turned out to be a lot of fun. Like, I know that a lot of times it may seem like work to, I don't know, market whatever product you have through a social media channel, but, but this turned out to be a lot of fun, and it's using very inexpensive equipment. You can buy one of those flip cameras for under $200, get a little card on it. Um, Put a little micro. The reason I got the Kodak is because it's got a microphone port, and I just basically that may look like a microphone. You can't really see it, but uh, all it is is a little metal tube 
that I took off of a different microphone stand and shoved a wireless lapel through it and put a little puffball windscreen on the top. It looked like a microphone, nobody really noticed. And uh, it, it captures the sound a lot better than that initial video with, at, with the LavaCon conference with Jack Molisani where it's kind of like you got all this ambient noise. So it filters that out. But beyond that, I don't really have a lot of video technique. I mean, I don't really know, I don't have studio lighting. I don't have a binaural lapel mic that extends to both. And you can still be very successful on almost no budget at all. Um, you, you, it, it, the hard part is actually like contacting people and saying, hey, can I interview, interview you? And coming up with questions and being bold enough to do that. For example, with your dating site, um, if you wanted to mix up the content and kind of add more life to it, it, more than maybe it already has, interview somebody. Of course, you have this anonymity thing going, but let's say, let's say you wanted to break free from that for a while. You know, somebody submits a, a best date, they're probably proud of that. Uh, you could interview them, and as long as you keep it under three minutes, you know, people are gonna be engaged and watch it. What do you think about video? Anybody trying to do any kind of video? Yes. Okay. So you're recording cover songs and, and, and what? And original songs? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, if you're, I assume maybe you're musically talented as well. Like, do you have a band or anything? Or do you sing or? <laughs> yeah. So, you, so yeah, you play the piano, you sing. I mean, some, sometimes a certain type of social media is going to fit you better and you want to play to your strengths. Um, I really haven't done much video after this, but there used to be a guy that was amazing in video. Have you ever heard of Zay Frank? He did these videos that were just hilariously funny. Um, there's another guy that, I can't remember what it, oh, the ninja, the nin, I can't remember what the full name is. Oh, Ask a Ninja? Ask a Ninja, right? That format, can you imagine that format as text? Wouldn't come across very well, right? But Ask a Ninja is hilarious as video. And it's obvious that he's got a strength for that. If you're, if you've got a background in acting maybe, or or you just have a, a good persona of some kind that fits in that sort of setting, then, then go for that. But even if you don't, like I don't, but um, I think that uh, you can still engage the audience. People still find it interesting. All right. Jordan, got a question or comment? Tell me something about video. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think guitar lessons is a is a brilliant strategy. Um, I we we inherited a piano at my house uh, from our in-laws, and I don't know how to play it, and I don't want to pay somebody to come teach my kids three. You know, for I have four kids, add that up, that's a lot of money, right? But if I could put a laptop there, and say. Watch this, kids. <laughs> I doubt it would work, but, but it would be a neat idea, right? And that's the concept with a guitar, sure. In fact, uh, I was trying to learn better how to do voiceovers, and there's a lot about doing voiceovers online, instruction. You know, people want content. They don't want to be marketed to. So uh, give them actual information that's helpful, and they respond. Um, all right, so we've talked about Twitter blogs, podcasts, video. There's one other question that, uh, and we've got 
a few minutes left. Um, Dr. Paul was saying that a lot of you are interested in somehow getting a job after you graduate and using your experience in social media to try to uh, better position you for a job. Is that right? Is that, is that anybody's concern, getting a job after they graduate? <laughs> you guys are English majors. This should haunt you. <laughs> so <laughs> how can social media help you get a job? I mean, a lot of times you've probably, probably been warned that it's going gonna, it's gonna, to uh, be more of an obstacle than an asset in your job search, right? People may tell you, oh, they're going to Google you. They're going to find that post you wrote. They're going to they're gonna find that picture of you hanging upside down in a tree <laughs> or whatever. Um, what's the message you get from, from people that social media is going to help or hurt you in your job search? Jordan. All right, so you're saying that it's pretty common that employers are going to search for your online presence and so forth. So I think one of the big myths out there is that, is that all this engagement in social media hurts your, your job potential. Um, there was a while back on my site, actually not that far back, but somebody asked me a question. They said, they said am I so pitiful that, I, that nobody will, why, am I, why will nobody hire me? Am I so pitiful? And I was like, okay, let me, let me make this a collaborative post. I'll just put it out there and have everybody respond to it. So uh, actually, let me go to that real quick um, because I think it's still on my homepage. There we go. Nope, that's not it. There we go, resume. And I said, look, this is the question the person asks. What are your responses? And there's a lot of people who responded. I actually had them respond in a Google document and then I compiled them, so that's why there's only seven comments there. But um, one of the first things people said was, well, Herbert Thornton, your name, you have no online presence. We Google you, we don't find anything. And I've done some, some interviewing, I've been the interviewer for some positions at the church when people come to, be, to apply to be a technical writer, when they're actually hiring and so forth. And uh, First thing I do, I want to Google them. Not because I'm trying to discover some kind of dirt or something on their, their profile, although some people do have some crazy political views which they shouldn't really highlight on their LinkedIn profiles. But I want to know if somebody's engaged. I want to know if somebody's passionate about the field. If they're not blogging about it, if they're not tweeting about it, if they're not doing anything that shows me that they're engaged in the field, why would I, why, why would I want that person to join our team? I mean, I write stuff because, well, it, because I'm interested in it, and, and I'm reading, and I'm learning, and I want to, uh, you know, just be, join that professional discussion. Uh, and if somebody has no presence, you can't find anything on them, then you really have to question whether they're going to be a passionate employee, whether they're going to have any kind of enthusiasm for, for the field, or if it's just going to be like a nine-to-five shift work type of job. So... As you're engaged in social media, now obviously your projects may not align with your career, right? If you're doing the Cosmo thing, uh, it's probably, unless you're going into marketing, um, but by and large, your, your projects don't always align with your career. But uh, a while ago, somebody did write me and he said he was trying to break into the field. 
Um, his name was Brian Kennedy, I think. And he said, look, I'm thinking about starting a blog on TechCom because I just want to, I think it'll help me get a, get a job. And I said, great, you know, go for it. He was concerned that it would reveal too much, too much of his lack of knowledge rather than expose him as an expert. But I said, look, don't, uh, don't worry about that. Just write about what you're learning, right? You're constantly reading stuff. It'll almost be like a, a reading journal of, of, about the profession. And it wasn't but like two or three weeks later, he wrote back and said he got a job. And the, the person who hired him, his employer, said that he had looked on his, on his blog, he had read some of this stuff, and he liked the direction he was headed. And, uh, and then, for some reason, I checked his blog this morning, and he hadn't posted for like a year. <laughs> Which is, anyway, but it helped him get into the door of the profession. And I think social media can be a tremendous leverage point for you. Um, it, 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 uh, is not something you should try to, to hide and push away. All right, any last questions about social media or anything that we didn't really talk about that you want to? So uh, again, if you want to check out my site, I'd rather be writing.com, you can learn all about uh, one of the few, uh, <laughs> what am I going to say, <laughs> few jobs after the English major that pays well enough to support a family <laughs> kind, of, <laughs> kind of professions. And I'd be happy to answer questions at Tom at I'dRatherBeWriting.com. So thanks. All right, so presentation's over. And I'm just driving back to uh, work, actually. And I just wanted to follow up with a few thoughts about how I think it went, what I think went well, um, first of all, I think it went pretty well. The students are bright and they were respectful. And even though they each had, even though they each had a little computer at their station, they weren't surfing around, browsing their email and internet. So that was pretty cool. Uh, but one thing I, I guess I totally misjudged was that students don't listen to podcasts and they don't do Twitter. So when I'm talking about those things, it didn't really connect as much as it might with professionals who do use those mediums. But about three quarters of the way through, I kind of finished most of what I wanted to say. And uh, one of the students, you know, she called out the fact that, hey, we don't really listen to podcasts. Um, our target audiences don't listen to podcasts. And here I, I kind of was pushing podcasting. Well. They do listen, they do watch videos, and I think short videos on YouTube would have an amazing potential to connect with their audiences. And I don't know why I didn't see that earlier. Um, it seems kind of like an obvious point. Right? First, above all else, assess your audience. And so uh, I should have steered them in that direction earlier. And thankfully, I actually had some stuff about video that I could show. Um, I should probably do more video. Uh, just for my own blog, there's probably a huge student audience that just isn't connecting with podcasts, with long blog posts, with tweets. There's a whole, a whole bunch of younger crowd type of people, a whole bunch of students, who might find videos a lot more engaging. So anyway, I should have emphasized that much earlier. I think it would have connected with the audience a ton better. Um, and that, that classroom was amazing. The sound worked. It was it was perfect. Um, 
so anyway, uh, I do, one thing that I did think worked well though, is that I was flexible enough to change paths kind of when I saw the need to do so. Um, of course I was pretty much running out of content, but at the same time, I, I like that about presenting is that you may not know exactly how it's going to turn out and you shouldn't have it so scripted and so, so fixed that it's always going to be a certain way or that you're going to go slide by slide, point by point, and there's going to be no room for discovery. I mean, that's what I like about writing is that you start at point A, you don't really know where you're going to end up with, end up at. Um, writing is about discovery and, and there should be that spark of discovery as you write. That's one of something I took away from a writing book a long time ago. Don't be afraid to move in a different direction if you if you sense that's the way to go. Uh, so, so yeah, be be flexible and and figure out what works for your audience and what doesn't, and just go for it. All right, so that's pretty much it, and I'm heading out for lunch. Hi, can I take it her? Yeah, I'd like a number. Wow, number two. All right, small, medium, large. How about medium with root beer? Drink root beer. Anything else? Nope. Sorry. Nope. All right, tell us the first one now. Thanks.